Hello, this is Daryl here, sending love as always. Thank you for tuning in. I just want to say, if you like this interview, you can check our website for companion workbooks, action guides, tools, checklists, templates, and show notes with links for everything mentioned on the call. Just visit bestbusinesscoach.ca. That's best, B-E-S-T, businesscoach.ca. Enjoy. Hello, everyone. Thank you for joining us. My name is Daryl Urbanski, your host as always. And today we are joined by Donavir Saria. And Donavir is an 11-year digital marketing to help grow multiple seven- and eight-figure brands. Today, he runs Supply Drop, an e-commerce marketing agency that's helped brands like Kettle and Fire, Drink O2, and Verb Energy. I've asked him to join us here today to help us understand the nuts and bolts behind e-commerce brand growth. So, Donavir, thank you so much for joining us, my friend. How you doing, man? I'm doing great, man. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's an honor and a pleasure. And I'm really excited to get into this because <clears throat> e-commerce is just getting bigger, obviously, with the pandemic and that. And not only even just e-commerce, but a lot of info marketers, one of my mentors even said with info marketing, like, think of your info products as if they were e-commerce products. And I found that really valuable and helpful. But before we dive into all the e-commerce stuff, how did you even get started in entrepreneurship? Like, did you come from a family of entrepreneurs? Were your parents entrepreneurs? Got it. Well, not really. I do know my dad did start in electric, electricity business, you know, like electrical, whatever, going through houses and fixing your electricity. But that was in, in Los Angeles, lasted for a couple of years. Then he came here to Miami, got a job. And I know my uncle in Nicaragua, he still does, he comes to the United States often. He literally buys, like, he goes like Macy's and JCPenney at like clearance plus discount plus everything. Mm-hmm. And right? it sits and- back. And then it goes back and he has stores there and sells them in, you know, American clothing at full yeah. price. <laughs> so that's what he does. But uh, yeah, other than that, there's not much going on. But uh, at least the way how I started, I've always been interested in business. And, and But at one point, I actually got really interested in fitness. And so I just, you know, I'm a middle school kid and I'm just thinking, you know, let me just Google this stuff. I and mean, they're all I can about fitness. I was super passionate about fitness. And you go into then when you do that, you meet up with all the fitness gurus. And then once you do that, I remember one guy, Craig Valentine, I was on his list, his fitness list. And he said something to the effect of, oh, look, I make six figures selling these PDFs. And I have one of his PDFs and I'm looking at it and I'm like, bro, I can do this. This is easy. I do this stuff like for school. I'm in middle school. Obviously, it wasn't that easy because I did try to do it. But he ended up saying he had, he had, he ended up having another business list advice of how to start. He said, go do some work for free for someone. Mm. And at the time I, I was in like, I was in 10th grade in high school when I got that email. And then I was also at that time in super interested because in middle school, I got interested in, in street magic. And so I was following this other guy named Gideon Shawick. And on his blog, he had a case study of him helping this guy named uh, JJ. It was his stage name anyways, a street magician on YouTube. I decided, you know what? I want to start helping someone free. I love street magic. So I'm going to email this guy and say, hey, I will do whatever it is you need to do, whatever. And I'll I'll help you for free. And basically what happened is there a couple months back and forth. he, He ended up saying, you know what? I'll pay you to do my email marketing. And he paid me 200 bucks a month for eight emails a month as a copywriter, basically. I didn't even know what copywriting was back then, but as a copywriter, 
And that's basically how I got into digital marketing in general. Oh, got it. That's really, that's cool. That's an interesting, you know, I know a couple of people that have gotten very successful. Typically it's like martial arts, magic, and there's a couple others, but there's like some common themes that I seem to, to see like door-to-door sales as well. But that's actually really interesting. So, all right. So now you're doing the emails and then what happened? Like, how does that translate into where you are now? Like what were like, yeah. Like, was it just a breezy? He was like, here's 200 bucks a month. You're like, oh, great. And he started pounding out emails and it started raining money. And you were like, yeah, everybody, we bought a Lamborghini. Like what, what happened? Well, definitely not. So <laughs> the whole point of it was to build a fitness business, like sell my own fitness info products because of Greg's Valentine. I had that dream for like years at that point and still years for after that. And so I got lucky. I got to do work for him for free. Not for free. He paid me a little bit. I ended up running his own, his entire digital marketing side of the business. That like I did the magician. Okay. And I just kept going. And I, it was during that time where I ended up, it's kind of like, again, you, at this point, I'm following all the info product groups, Frank Kern, Craig Ballantyne, Evan Pagan. I'm following all these internet marketers. And I remember one guy, I can't believe I forgot his name. The guy who sells Accelerator. John Benson. There you go. He's like, I remember one time in a video, he's like, you know, copywriting is the oxygen of your business. Yeah. Uh, he said that. And I was like, as a kid, I was a kid at the time. And I was like, God damn, that, that's great. And then I literally became a copywriter because of that sentence that he yeah. specifically said at that time. And so that's, that's what ended up happening. For years, I became a, a freelance copywriter while I was in school. And yeah, I still didn't, I was trying to do the business, the fitness business never worked out. And then, and it was just like that for years. Cause obviously I started in 10th grade and I went all the way to college, you know, right. all four years as a copywriter. So that's literally most of my time was during that time. Yeah. Now I believe this. So something you mentioned a couple of the big names there. So for people listening, almost all the big internet marketing names all came through Kim McCarthy's camp and he's the godfather of internet marketing. Even the banner ad was invented at his thing. And that's so, and Ken is big on this too, that copy, it's all about copy, copy. I mean, Dan Kennedy. So Kim, Kim McCarthy's Dan Kennedy's internet guy. And so long story short, like we're getting into OG kind of stuff. Like Ken had the first internet marketing seminar ever, ever was Mark Andreessen, the guy who created Netscape, the first world's first internet browser. I wanted, they invented, they didn't invent, but they were really the first to adopt video marketing before when it was just kind of porn doing it. The banner ad was invented at one of his seminars. But that's Ken's thing too, is he talks about copywriting is the oxygen of business. And I want to find out what's it about copywriting. If there's, why is it one skill to rule them all? Yeah. Well, my opinions of copywriting has changed a lot, especially in the past three years when I've been to e-commerce, but copywriting is still a good skill in general. It's, pro- it's definitely overhyped, I think, in my opinion, but it's still a great skill, not because of the copy, but it's because of the, uh, you get good at two things. You get good at one research and you get good at messaging. And so, and that's pretty much in all of marketing is finding the right message for the right market. And if you get that, you could pretty much sell pretty much anything you want. And so that's why I think a lot one thing, the reason why these guys, these OG internet marketers say it is the, you know, the oxygen of your business is because in the info marketing business, it is basically a copywriting business. Like you, the whole thing is just straight up copywriting. Long form sales letters, long form emails, long form everything. Mm-hmm. And e-commerce is a little bit different, but the idea of copywriting in of itself as a, you know, to learn how to research and create messages and ideas that sell, 
that's what's really yeah, great about it. Yeah, I agree wholeheartedly. We're on the same page there. The fact that, you know, there's a thing they say in direct response that success comes, it's 41% based off of the list you're targeting. So 41% of your success is who you are targeting. 30% of your success is the offer you are making that group of people. And then 29% of your success is the, the copy that you do is the messaging. And I think that's 100%. And that's why I'm glad you brought that up. It's not so much the words are magical and they open up wallets and people get hypnotized. It's that when you write copy, you have to do all the research. Who am I writing to? Why am I writing to them? What do they care about? Part of copywriting is like AIDA, attention, interest, desire, action. So you have to be like, what will get their attention? What are they interested in, right? What do they desire? And all that, like you said, the background research part, you know, if you're going to do, if you can jump off a uh, diving board and you can do a triple gainer, somersault, backflip, that's fantastic. But if there's no water in the pool, you're going to get hurt. And it's the same thing in business. If you can write the most magnetic, amazing copy words itself, but all the research is not well-founded, you know, if you're going to launch a business in a dying, like if you're going to try and sell something in a market that's diminishing right now, you know, it's just not going to work out. So I love that. So what do you think are kind of the pinnacle skills? Like if you had to pick top three, top five skills for someone, if they're like, oh, I'm not good at writing or I don't know about copywriting, what other skills would you suggest for them? As an entrepreneur? Well, yeah, someone that's trying to get going up and running okay. and wants to have a seven, eight figure e-commerce business. Oh, e-commerce specifically. So the one thing I have learned, and I wish I knew this earlier, and I, I kind of regret following John Denson's advice of becoming a copywriter. But the thing is what you need to learn, and all you need to learn is one thing. You need to learn one traction-based skill. It could be media buying. It could be SEO. It could have been YouTube, TikTok right now. It could have been any of that stuff. Why? Because the majority of businesses fail, not because they have like a bad product or because they didn't have product market fit or any of that stuff. It's because they straight up could not get traction for it, whether it's because they have low margins or whether it's because, you know, organic or paid, you know, whichever one converts better, that happens to convert better and they just didn't know at the time and you know, whatever. If you want to be like a straight up, like a copywriter and you want to start an agency or something like that, it's not your copywriting that sells, it's the cold emails that you're sending. It's, you know, the ads that you're doing to promote yourself. So if there is a skill, honestly, there's no one specific one. I'm personally learning SEO just because my background is in writing. So what about traffic? You're saying traffic is the sexy the skill to master. Is that it? A traffic if skill? If you want to start a business, yes. Obviously, I mean, if you talk about like specific skills like copywriting and stuff like that, like that helps throughout the process. I think copywriting is a secondary skill, basically. That's the way mm -hmm. I feel about it. And those... It helps everything you're doing, but in and of itself, it's not going to build you a, an e-commerce business specifically. It helps, but you need, still need traffic. You know what I mean? You yeah. Know, I just, you need to know margins. You need to know accounting, basically. You need to know all these things. Yeah. Uh, but it all starts first with, hey, can I get people to my site to even see the product that I have? Yeah. Yeah. Crappy copy. It can still happen. You know what I mean? I, I, I guess it's funny because there's two camps. There's the traffic team and the conversion team. Some of the people on the conversion side... They're like, you know, conversion, if you get conversion right, you can just write a check and buy all the traffic you want. But yeah. you kind of hit a point there where you might want, like, you might be a conversion guru, but if, you know, if a tree falls in the woods and no one's there to hear it, it doesn't make a sound. If you get the world's greatest sales letter, but there's no eyeballs on it, it doesn't make a sound. But on the other hand, if you've got all the traffic, I mean, I know a ton of people that they've got build blogs that get hundreds of thousands of page views a month, and they're just selling ad sense and advertising because they don't know how to convert it. They like, 
I got all this traffic, but I don't know how to make any money on it. So, you know, it's just interesting. And I think you brought up a really good point that, you know, once you feel like you have an offer or just even just in general, eyeballs must be sacrificed. This was something that was told to me early on where I was nervous. I'm like, yeah, but I don't know if it's good. They were like, eyeballs must be sacrificed. Like, you know, I felt like it was like a gladiator arena, like just like sacrifice them to the altar of your goals because. You know, I got, well, I'm going to message and they're my family and friends. And what if they don't like it? Others like just bro, like you just got to sacrifice those eyeballs, man. If they're going to hate you because they didn't like your page, it doesn't matter anyways, you know, but I've also seen campaigns where, you know, someone gets a million impressions and the conversion is zero. So yeah, it's, yeah. It comes down to what you said earlier, right? It's, you know, 31% off list. I forgot 20% offer, but if you took the creative part, which you said it was 29%, the rest that's like what like 70 percent yeah what's yeah. not list the yeah exactly you have the right offer to the right list that's not conversion that's the marketing that you having a good product with crappy great creative to an audience and that yeah. makes the money and then copywriting and everything else that makes you more money more money yeah yeah being able to craft offers is an incredibly powerful skill that's a huge one i mean if i were like Hey, Donavere, Beyonce, she's hot and bothered and naked and she's in this hotel room and she's waiting for you. Here's the address and phone number. If I wrote it on crayon, on a napkin, <laughs> you would not care. If I wrote it on dirty toilet paper, you might be like, eh, but hey, let me just read. Like, let me just see this. I know right, Beyonce, I'm coming. Or whoever your, your hot model is, right? Like, and so it's like, that's the same ideas. If you have someone, and I don't even know if you like Beyonce, but it's like the list. Like the who. So this comes back to old school Dan Kennedy, or not Dan Kennedy, Gary Halbert. If you could only have one thing to guarantee your success in business, what would you want it to be? And he was like a starving crowd. If you wanted to own a restaurant selling hamburgers, you know, you could start with just like a fire pit and just, you know, like you could just have a fire pit, just some rocks and a little metal grill. And you could start with a fire pit. And if you had a, a starving crowd, they would fund your dream so you could start off with just a fire pit and then get a barbecue and then get a stall and then get a commercial location, you know, but it's the starving crowd. But meanwhile, if you had the world's fanciest like recipe and this luscious bread flown over from France or who knows what, but you're offering people that are leaving an all-you-can-eat buffet, you're going to fail because even though it's such an amazing product, it's the wrong targeting, the wrong list. They're already full. So... Yeah, exactly. list, list, list is everything. So I love this. Okay. So, all right. So we've moved along and like started running his marketing. Now, what were some of the big challenges that you faced in your career? And how did you overcome that? Like, again, it wasn't linear, right? It was a zigzag. I mean, I would say most of it was linear just because I was in school for the majority of it. Right. But like, I guess you could say if you were to make an actual line of it, my, the freelancing stuff was more linear. And then the actual like info product businesses I tried to start were like, up and then most of it was down almost the entire time. It did not work out because I was, I did not, I knew copywriting. I didn't know traction. I didn't know, you know, good, creating good offers and stuff like that. And you know, that messed me up for a long time. But eventually I ended up, did starting an, an, an info product business called CopyMonk that actually, you know, that was you. That was me. That was Got me. It. Okay. 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 Got yeah. it. I know CopyMonk. Okay. Yeah. Well, that was an info product business teaching copywriters how to do copywriting. And literally the reason why it worked is because at least at that, like you were able to get traffic from Facebook groups. Like I would write a really good blog post. I promote it in different Facebook groups. And then people like, I'll literally write a blog post and I'll get 100, 200 subscribers, email subscribers every time I promoted a new blog post. And I just did that repeatedly 
over and over again in the cult of copy and Dan Kennedy's group and the Gary Halbert group everywhere. And that's how I built the Lynn. And that's how I first got, you know, actually built a real info product business. And I ended up not liking it. Beyond, I got by that time, I was already in the info product business for like eight years at that point. And I just got like, ah, like I really wanted to start in a, you know, physical product business. My whole, my dream at the time was to build, you know, the next Nike. And so I really wanted something real. And I just quit cold turkey, which is one of the worst decisions I've ever made. <laughs> and I, I just decided to start an apparel business. Like, a, like I sold a, you know, a $58 shirt for guys with, it was enhanced with, yeah, I called it, I positioned it as military grade anti-odor technology. And it was fun. It was great. It took forever to make the product, like over a year and stuff. And it ultimately failed. And then from there, I decided, how do I get back into this stuff? Well, let me just do marketing for e-commerce businesses. And that's how I got into, that's how I made a switch from info product to e-commerce and stuff. Got it. Got it. Yeah. Because products are a dime a dozen. And you, you hit on a great pain point. So I wanted to address two things you brought up that I think are really important and I think may have gone so by so fast, people maybe missed it. And again, if you're listening to this, you may want to listen to this interview a couple of times because there's been some good value bombs that have been dropped. So one talked about how you spent a year developing a product only to find out that it kind of, th- I am so big on getting pre-orders. I'm like, people get pre-orders, get pre-orders, yeah. ask for yeah. just a deposit. Look at Elon Musk. Go. There's one thing, cause that's empowering. I did get pre-orders one, oh. but yeah. Cause what happened was that I, I was following Noah Kagan's advice of like, he basically has this three day challenge or two day challenge, something like that. Get three orders in pre-orders in two days. So I literally had a I had my sister, she's a graphic designer. I, I told her to make me a product markup and I took a Shopify page and I made, you know, a very basic page. And I actually did. I actually got seven orders in like a week, but this is my network but where I got wrong. And this is the big difference between oh. info product business. Yeah. Info product and e-commerce business is when e-commerce, now you have margin. You have short margins. So once you have that, you got to, it's not just cold, right? It's having the, can you even afford it? Right. And that's, and that's, so even if people want it, you, you can't afford it. It's not yeah. happening. Yeah. And that was where I really screwed up. And I did not know until way down the road that I could not afford acquiring a customer yeah. for that thing, even though people liked my product once they had one. Yeah. yeah. I, I had the same thing. I did a subscription box. I launched this recovery box because I'm all about like fitness is great, but really recovery is where it's at. Because if you're active every day, that's great. But you can, you know, it's like brushing your teeth. It's good to brush your teeth, but you can wear off your gums and the enamel of your teeth. You actually have to let like you have to have breaks in between, like silence is part of music as much as sound is. So I was, I watched a subscription box recovery box. It was the same thing, but it took me three months to get, and people loved it. I think I got 30, 40 orders and people loved it, but it was like, I wasn't breaking even until month two and three. And I just was like, I just, I just don't have that deep of pockets right now for that kind of thing. You know, with all the stuff, like I'd like to brag and be like, yeah, man, I got a hundred K I could just throw away and hope and make it in back a couple of months. And yeah, so that's a really, really important thing. So I want to hit on a couple of things that you said. So we talked about the pre-orders and we talked about making sure that you can finance it, you know, and that knowing your cost per sale and your break-even point, you know, and that's, there are companies like Proactive has been around forever because they have deep pockets. So, you know, it gets really easy to copy the product, right? Like there, if you, if you've got a lab, if you're in the product, like making cosmetic kind of stuff, you can replicate the Proactive Glop pretty easily, quickly. You can just buy a jar and analyze it or make your own. But what they can't replicate is their marketing, like the marketing knowing who the target market is and the messaging that dials in and the economics of the business. It is cost prohibitive 
to compete with them because they can be omnipresent everywhere with this dialed in marketing message that's going to crush anything that you're trying to do with them. And they're losing money for like the first five, six months or something like that on a subscriber. But they know when people subscribe, they're going to stay 12 months, 18 months, three years, whatever. So it's like, they know the lifetime customer value is like five. Like I have a buddy, he's been on our show a couple of times, Jermaine Griggs. I think at one point, I don't know though now, but at one point his lifetime customer value was like 590 something dollars. So the average customer paid him $597, but most of his products were like 30 bucks. That I knew of like $30, $97. So it's like, how long is it taking him to make that? You know? And so if you spend money today and you know, like, Hey, I spent a grand today, but I got these buyers and I broke even or kind of broke even, but I know because I know my numbers that I got another 55 grand coming in, you know, you would just wait and, and get it. And it's the same thing with more zeros attached. So that was one. The other one, you talked about the importance of traffic. So I want to mention again, there's really only three ways to get traffic. You can buy it. You can borrow it and you can build it. And so you had talked about CopyMonkey and how you borrowed traffic to build your own. Other people have put Facebook groups together and you were able to negotiate, like to tactfully engage with those communities and give away free content in a way that built your own following, right? Even this, like we're, you're borrowing my audience and I'm borrowing yours and together we're building our own platform. So you can buy it, borrow it, build it. And one of the fastest ways to go from zero to 60 in any business is always to borrow it because if, unless you can buy it. So often what's a good strategy is to buy traffic if you can afford it to help dial in your messaging and then go around and borrow all the traffic you can from the people that have the audiences that you know, like trust, you know, that are relevant to you and just give them all the profit for free if you can, because the value is going to be in the list and the audience you built. And that's where, you know, you need to have your back end stuff. I just want to mention that because you were just really clear about how important it is to get traction how much that is, you know, and to, to get everything dialed in. And you also mentioned another really good key point. I think it's important to, to mention. As far as like, like when you're trying to test your product or offer, you said you got your three to seven sales. I think it's really important people gain to like 50 plus sale because that's where, again, if you're going to have a thriving business, you need to consider yourself still in early launch mode, test launch mode until you got those kind of 50 sales because got kind of proof of concept. But like you said, you know, I, I feel like what a lot of people do is they, they launch this business, all their family and friends buy, then they get busy delivering to their family and friends. No one's running the marketing, you know, and then they kind of go through the seesaw of selling and delivering, selling and delivering. And then they also, they max out their family and friends who all make the obligatory purchase. And now you have to go talk to people who don't know you, don't like you, don't trust you. And now all of a sudden you're, it's like your marketing goes off a cliff where you're like, Hey, what's going on? And you know, that's, that's really, I think that's an incredibly valuable lesson. And the other thing that you mentioned was that you were done so well with copy mark. You just, you were like, I'm just going to walk away from this cold turkey and lots of something, right? Nothing fails like success. Hey, well, I've been there. I've been like, everything I touch is golden, man. I made this guy $2 million. I know what I'm doing, right? Like, let me walk off this cliff. <clears throat> like, yeah, I get it. So what would you recommend to anyone that's starting out right now or struggling? If you were like, you had a son or something. Yeah. Well, it's funny because I am in on my way to starting a new direct consumer brand, new e-commerce brand. But what I'm doing in specifically is I'm going completely the other way that what most e-commerce people do. Most e-commerce team people, they basically launch a product and then they just want to depend themselves on paid. But especially when you have margin, especially at the beginning of an e-commerce business margins, that's at your lowest, lowest margins you have. Then you have iOS 14 that's happening. That's not going, the privacy stuff is only going to get even harder for advertising coming soon. iOS 15 is coming out next month. 
So really what I'm doing is I'm building a blog, a men's grooming blog. And I'm building that for literally like two years first and make it profitable in and of itself you know, with ads, with affiliate stuff, with email sponsorships, all that kind of good stuff. Make it an actual media company. And then on the back of that, launch an e-commerce brand. So it's kind of like two, business, two businesses, but you know, that's the idea to, be, to build a moat that, because if I'm, if I'm competing against other men's care brands, they've got good stuff. They're already million dollar brands. They've got all these connections, all this stuff. How do I build something that's completely different or at least gives me a moat so that if they try to even copy me, that it's, it's, you know, I'm still always going to be able to at least survive. I don't, cause I don't want to start multiple e-commerce brands to, you know, you know, fail a bunch of times and then do it. I want to do it once and I want to do it right. And I want to do something that's, that's going to work no matter what. And because my skills in copywriting and stuff, and because I've blogged before, I know SEO it's working right now. I, I'm like nine or 10 months into it. It's definitely working. All I got to do is keep it going for another 18 months. It's pretty much there. And then I could take the risk with starting the e-commerce brand on top of that. And because I have that audience, the traction, I don't have to pay for paid ads at the beginning. And then that gives me the volume to then increase my margins. And then that gets me up to the space where I can use ads and Amazon and physical retail to then, you know, to then scale the business right after that. So when you look at like an e-commerce business, like a regular one that relies on paid ads, they're like this, right? Yeah. Uh, it's because you're spending money and you're profiting and stuff. What I'm talking about, the content and commerce model, that's what it's called, yeah. uh, which is Food52, Glossier, Bulletproof, all these brands, their business model looks like this. They're very slow and then they go, they're slow for a couple of years, right? Because they're content. And then once they start their e-commerce business, they just freaking explode and, and grow even faster than the regular paid based commerce businesses. And so that's yeah. the model that I'm going for. Yeah, got it, got it. Yeah, I'm a fan. Like I said, there's three ways. Buy it, borrow it, build it. Borrowing it is social media too. And SEO is great. Actually, a buddy of mine wrote an article because when I'm in martial arts school, I like you, I dove into the SEO. And even after I left that martial arts school, it was generating leads for me consistently. Yeah. It's, the martial art I was in, like, it's just not easy. It's not like dentists and fitness trainers. You can't just sell the business easily because it's a bit of a guru business. You know, you can, most martial arts schools that get sold, they train up their own student base and sell to one of the other students, you know? And so I just didn't have the time. I had an opportunity to go get paid hundred K us and, and work and possibly make a couple of million gross, not necessarily me, but with the company. And I, I really wanted the skill opportunity, but that's that, that SEO work, like you said, it pitched for 10 years, for 10 years. I still had as long until the domain name expired. Cause I paid it out like five years or whatever until the domain name expired. Leads were coming in every month, just every month, just every, every month. And I talked to the other martial arts schools around me and they were like, we don't need to pay you. They'll come to us next. I was like, if you think so, I don't know, man. Like, cause inactivity is a big thing. So they're hitting me first, you know? So that's a really, really good one. I would still encourage, I mean, there's a really good uh, dollar a day. It's supposed to be for Facebook. We can really do it for any platform, a dollar a day, $2 a day. Because one of the things that I love so much is that you can test headlines, product images, and lead, like, lead in so fast on paid, paid ads. Like if you want to do it on your own site, you got to make all these different pages, but you upload it to a paid ad platform and a small budget, 20 bucks, 50 bucks, 100 bucks. I mean, you can do the same thing in the SEO, dude. <clears throat> what? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. With the testing the different traffic. With Ooh. affiliate products. Yeah. Right. Yes. To find out who who's buying what and where, what, when. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So 
if there's just a good model to combine them all. So, so content and commerce model. I like that. I like that a lot. Produce a ton of great content, get your SEO up. Now, how do you get SEO up? Like, how do you win the SEO game? Well, ultimately it comes down to content and then backlinks, basically. So you pick a, a category you got into, look it up, like how to start an affiliate business or like an authority blog, what they call it and stuff like that. Well, they'll tell you to find a super low competitive niche, which is super important. But if you are starting an e-commerce business like I am, obviously the niches you're going to go into are not that low competitive, but they're probably not crazy competitive either. So men's grooming is somewhere in the middle, I would say. And then from there, it's just low competition keywords, write great content. And then on top of that, if you could get backlinks to it, which is basically when people link to your blog or to your specific article, even better, right? And then you just, and then it's literally just to grind, basically. It's a game, like the content treadmill, it's real, but it's one of those things where like, if you build it, you have a connection, to, you know, one-to-one connection with your audience, like we do with any type of email list. So, and that's pretty much all SEO really is. And I thought it was a lot more complicated than that when it's really, really not. The hard part about SEO is the waiting. But right. then you're like, you publish these 50 articles and, it, and the average article takes maybe like eight plus months for it to like really gain steam. And you're just like, did I do it right? I don't know what happened. Uh, and then you're looking at Google search console. You're like, it's going down and, that, and you're like, oh, I'm the worst ever. And then, oh, I'm better. And oh, I'm the worst ever. And that's pretty much the hardest part about SEO. As long as you do the keyword research right, which is low competition, specific to whatever it is you need and write good content and backlinks, you're good. Just keep publishing a ton and just wait a long time. Yeah. That's pretty yeah. And the internet's so transparent. You can actually take your competitor's websites, put them into keyword tools. And it'll tell you all the top keywords that your competitor sites are built around. You know, that's often like, it's like a lot will either, people will typically start by borrowing traffic, at least the clients I work with, they start with borrowing some traffic to get the JVs to promote or paying for traffic to figure out the hook, the product images, the graphics. And then once they kind of know that they've got like a money funnel a little bit, then they start, like you said, it's like all hands on deck, all ores in the water we can get, just ranking out content as much as we can. I was going to say, oh. Recently, my team and I got a hold of some of Google's internal training documents on search engine results. And there's two really key terms I think would be helpful here. And one is your money, your life pages. So if you're doing any sort of content that's related to someone's money or someone's life, it gets scrutinized heavier than the rest of content. So a lot of other content, you can kind of get away with a lot of stuff. But if you're writing stuff related to your money or your life, things that will if I give you bad advice, it will mess up or harm your money or your life. Google scrutinizes it better. And what Google's really looking for when they kind of say like a high quality page versus low quality page, they say EAT, which is expertise, authority, and trustworthiness. So like you're saying, part of why the content grind and content treadmill is real is because it's hard to fake it if you're producing content for eight months. It's hard to fake that you produce great content for eight months. And that's part of why Google's got this waiting period, so to speak, because they want to see you produce enough that you kind of like, you know, you start running out of like your greatest hits and you start get, having to dig deep. And they're like, is this person actually really producing great original content? Or did they just hire like a, a fancy team to get 30 articles and now they're just getting really light and thin on content and it's just regurgitating the same nonsense. So that's a really important part, the EAT, expertise, authority and trustworthiness. The more you can do to establish your expertise, demonstrate your expertise, your authority and collaborate. You talked about backlinks, collaborate with others who have high EAT. That just benefits you even more and more and more and more. So now 
what are some of the biggest mistakes you see your e-commerce clients making? So you're working with these brands, you're helping these seven, eight figure brands or people that maybe are on their way to seven figures. What's really holding them back? So, well, I'll separate like the beginners from like the bigger ones because those are completely two different situations. When it comes to like to the bigger clients, so what I primarily do for clients is email marketing right now. And on in the e-commerce space, it's like the exact opposite of the info product. In the info product space, it's literally, no one cares any, about anything other than the email list. Email list, email list, email list. But in e-commerce, no one cares. So it's, which is, it's the worst thing. Well, like not the worst thing because they pay me, obviously. But in general, it's like the worst thing. It kind of sucks for them. So that's the biggest mistake. They, they either, they're not sending enough emails. That's that's probably number one, number, number one biggest thing. Like they might send one email a week or something. And so I have to help them get to the two to three a week, which is around where you want to be, especially when you are at scale. They might not have all the flows set up. Like they might have like two or three flows or maybe they have a bunch, but they haven't optimized them in years, literally. So you have to go in and optimize them plus fill in all the other flows that they don't have. So that's by far the number one thing. And then the other biggest problem or mistake, and this is for everyone at this point, is for some, so, okay, I'll just say, it, it comes down to the fact that a lot of e-commerce brands do not do a good job with differentiating themselves. And that is because during the two, during around 2008, around there, Shopify, I think Shopify is like, starting like 2005 or something, but e-commerce in and of itself, because of Shopify didn't gain traction until like around 2008-ish, whatever. And that's around the time all like the big iconic direct consumer brands started like launching at that time, right? So for them to differentiate versus their physical retail counterparts, all they had to do was sell, you know, basically the same product, but because it was on the internet and because the internet was made up of millennials and younger people, all they had to do was make the branding around that basically. Like they make this joke, like pastel colors and all this stuff. All they had to do was that and boom, you're differentiated. But now we are in 2021 that's not going to fly anymore. Now you go into like, you know, the Eugene Schwartz market sophistication stuff and, you know, Al Rise, Jack Trout, you know, positioning and blue ocean strategy and all that kind of stuff. I always see a brand, like very rarely does a brand have like a really strong positioning statement. They suck basically. And so you see a lot of headlines of people are like, this brand is, is you know, we thought it was doing good, but it turns out that they're bad when then you look at the positioning and it's like, bro. Like there's literally nothing different about your thing versus everyone else. Yeah. Why should I buy your stuff? Which comes back to the offer. It comes back to the offer. What's your offer? What's your positioning? Why are you unique and why? Again, so all things being equal, if if they can compare what you do to other people, the lowest, it's a race to the bottom in terms of pricing. And that's the opposite. The goal of business is to make money, right? And market efficiency is about delivering the best, you know, of for the lowest price. So if you are in a category of multiple people, then it's going to be a race to who can provide the best for the most efficient pricing, right? Then that's why you want to have a unique offer and unique positioning. So you are in a category of one. And I love that you brought this up. So uh, I'm, yeah. So you talk about Gene Schwartz is, this is from a book called Breakthrough Advertising. It's a bit of a meaty book. Like it's kind of like a book you read and you're like, oh, and you got to put it down and come back to it. We talked about the five levels of market sophistication. Is it okay if I share what those are right now? I actually Go literally got them. I memorize these and I actually even have at my notebook them right here. So the first level of market sophistication is like it's a new thing. No one's really heard of it. 
So the goal is to be simple and be direct and make a big, dramatic, bold claim with your headline, make it as powerful as possible, and then bring in your product and prove that it works. So for example, you know, lose ugly fat now. That's like big, bold. No one's ever heard this. What do you mean lose ugly fat now? I can lose ugly fat now? You're at the first level of market sophistication. People didn't even know that that was a thing was possible. Once it's been around for a while, once you've got you know, competitors and stuff like that. And then you're kind of more in the second phase of market sophistication. People know that there are people offering ways to help you lose ugly fat. So then you would come out and copy the most successful claims of your competitors, but go bigger. So instead of just saying lose ugly fat now, you'd say lose up to 47 pounds in four weeks or get $40 back. So now I've just taken the successful claim someone else did, but I made it bigger, bolder, more specific with a stronger guarantee. Boom. And now everyone's doing that. And now everyone's trying to copy everyone because we're all fighting. It's competition. We're all trying to make this money on that. And the market's kind of saturated with people offering these, you know, get X results and X time or X guarantees. So now it's kind of their fatigue from that. So now you reach the third tier of market sophistication. So what do you do? What do you do? Everyone's making these big bold promises. Not everyone's able to deliver on them because they're marketing it too hard, perhaps getting too big, too crazy, too bold not really believable anymore. You come in with a new mechanism for achieving the desired outcome. So it'd be like, this is the first wonder drug to to lose ugly fat. So that's a new mechanism. So it's the same outcome, want to lose ugly fat, but now it's the first wonder drug. Helps, you know, easily, easily dissolves wonder fat, whatever it is. But then it's about the new mechanism. And that was like green coffee beans was a thing in the past. And that was a new mechanism. For achieving the same result that's been around forever. And, you know, keto, new mechanism for achieving the same result people went after forever. I want to tell anyone listening to this, if you're struggling to lose weight, I want to make it really simple for you. The no food diet is fantastic. If you look at Ethiopia, anywhere there's been famine, you can see that the no food diet is very slimming. It's very slimming. So if you're like, I can't, I'm yo-yoing this, that, I'm telling you, the no food diet is incredible incredibly effective. I don't think there's ever been a famine where there's a bunch of obese people that are like, ah, what I like that have died. Like, I just can't. We have dominated this planet so well. Not only are we killing it, but like, that's the struggle we got. And, you know, maybe that's not the way you want to do it. You know, maybe I've become more popular for bringing that up, but I just want to say, you know, marketing is a wonderful thing and it plays, we play all sorts of psychological tricks on people. So now we've hit the third stage with a new mechanism. But now everyone's got this new mechanism. Everyone's offering, right, the no food diet. So now what do we do? Well, now you just do kind of what you did in the second one, where you make the new mechanism easier, quicker, more reliable, or better in every way. So for example, now you talk about the first no diet wonder drug that dissolves ugly fat. So we're taking the same mechanism, but now we've made a better version of that mechanism. And then the fifth, fifth level what do you do? And again, this is kind of cyclical. It goes all the way through. But when you get to the fifth level, you actually don't worry about the mechanism so much. The, the market's so aware of everything. They know everything that's going on. You actually just repeat back the peak motivations people are purchasing for. And you offer more visual proof or more compelling visuals. You offer more compelling testimonials and stories and results and a more believable means. So you just like are green coffee beans. Not only do we have green coffee beans, but there's these seven varieties of green coffee beans. And we have this version that produced these three things that everybody wants more. And here are these people's stories. And so you come through with like, you know, and just, you get what I, I don't, sorry, I'm, 
you, know, you get where I'm going with this, right? So, and then it just loops. It just keeps looping. And when you get through all five levels, and that's where you can take a topic and then make little small categories of one. So you can start attacking busy working professionals, the mom who's had three kids, the, the guy who's got the dad bod, the 20 year old that's trying to look good to, you know, find the woman he's going to marry. You can split it off that way. But those are the five levels of market sophistication. So I went on a rant there, but you brought that up. And it is such a powerful thing because if you can take a look at everyone in your market and see what kind of advertiser everyone doing. Facebook makes all the ads public now because of all the political stuff that's gone on. You can go to Facebook, type in a keyword, country or worldwide, and you can see all the ads people are running on Facebook related to that term. So you can just go look at the headlines people are using and then be like, okay, well, what's next? Like where are things going to be in six months and eight months? That sort of thing. So. Yeah. Now I got one more question for you. I know we're coming up to the top of the hour and I want to be respectful of your time. We got a bit more time, but can you speak about the habits, the disciplines that you feel have really helped you achieve success? And even now, like what, what are the habits that you cling to? We took everything away and I guess you are restarting. What are the habits? Like you talk about the content, you know, content machine. Like, is there a habit? Like you, like I sit down every morning and I write for now. Like what are the habits that you feel are critical to your success? Got it. Well, I mean, well, first, just to preface that, like, there's obviously just doing something that you like doing already gets you, will get you more than halfway to do whatever habits that you need to do. So that's one thing. And I guess, and then also, also on top of that, I'll also say, you know, just knowing how to manage your energy, basically, it will help you, you know, go through the habits. And it's really, that's really the hard part because that's what habits is, is, doing things over and over and over again in a, basically in a, in like a timely fashion and stuff like that. So those two things really help. But in terms of like the actual habits themselves, for me, because I'm actually working on three different things right now. I'm working on the email marketing agency for e-commerce brands. I'm working on the men's grooming blog. And I also have my own personal blog where I talk about how to start an e-commerce business. So I'm working on different things at once. But I primarily spend my time with the clients and then the men's grooming blog and the personal blog. It's like more, you know, I worked ahead of time. But basically it comes down to one is, first of all, before working on anything, prioritize whatever it is that you're doing, obviously. Just as try to stay as no to as many things as possible. And you quickly realize that most of the things that you think you have to do, you don't actually have to do for actual like needle moving results. So that's by far my biggest trick when I do anything. And then from there, it's just, okay, you said no to everything. You've got now a list of things that you know that if you do this thing, if you just do that one big thing, it's going to move the needle. Great. Perfect. Now do that thing. And for blogging, it's pretty simple. It's either going to be right, you know, key, keyword research, blog post, and, you know, backlink. Those are the only three things of, you could build a multi-million dollar blog just doing those three things over and over and over and over and over again. And then all it is from there on is if something's important to you, do it early in the morning and you know, it's first thing you could do. And so that's I love that. what I do Yeah, early in the morning. Got it. Any tips on getting backlinks? Backlinks. That is by far the hardest part of SEO. And I, I theoretically know how to do it, but honestly, I haven't really done most of it because it's just, it's hard. Content for backlinks is actually much harder than content for like your own blog. Cause other people's blogs are like, Oh, this is my blog. You want to blog here It better be some good content. But when it comes to backlinks, like, for my personal blog, though, it's the business blog about how to start an e-commerce business. What I do there is using Harrow, H-A-R-O. Mm. Yeah. That's basically, if you sign up to it, like every day you get a bunch of 
reporters, basically not necessarily real reporters, but like just bloggers essentially saying, hey, we, we're going to start this, we're going to write this blog post about X topic. We need a couple experts to, you know, input your, your opinion about it and do it. And so the way I do it, literally, that's, it's part of my daily routine. It comes out like three specific times, like 6 a.m., 12-ish, and then like at five o'clock or something like that. And yeah. then literally I'll, what I'll do is I'll go through each one and anything I can do, I just, you know, you respond to it. Just bang there. Yeah. You just bang it out. You just got to keep doing it day after day after day because it's going to take, you know, 20 submissions before you get one. One. But that one that you get is like a really good blog. Like you're getting like a really good backlink. So that's Harry for my e-commerce marketing blog. And then for the other blog, Men's Green blog, for now, I haven't done any active backlinking besides paying, you know, a link building service. But what I will be doing, and I think this is where the real, I guess the future of the backlinking stuff that I really want to focus on triple down on, but it's really hard to do, is creating original research. So imagine you want basically stuff that people want to link to, essentially. And original research is the number one thing people want to link to. And if you can find a keyword that matches with that research, that's obviously the, you know, you then at that point you get links, you know, without even trying, you just publish it. And for years you get backlinks the whole, the whole time. And so for a good example of that is, you know, let's just say, for example, like, you know, the pandemic, it made a lot of people go into, into remote work basically. And so you have a blog about remote work. And so you decide to survey, you have an email list of 2000 people and you email them and you say, Hey, did you, you ask them like five different questions about remote more remote work. Did you have a job and the pandemic made you go to remote work? Do you like remote work? You know, all these like different survey questions. And then all of a sudden you get, you know, let's just say, for example, you have a hundred, 200 responses. Now you write a blog post, you know, detailing your research. And then all of a sudden, because other outlets want, everyone talks about remote work, especially during the pandemic, they will link to you, uh, especially if you have the keyword research behind it. And also you should, ideally, you also physically, like you promote it yourself. And if you do that, you can get some like serious links. And by serious, I mean like Yahoo and you know CNN and CNET and all those other blogs. That's probably, it's the hardest thing you could possibly do, I think. But it's, if there was one thing, it'd be that. So I love that. Can I, I got something that might make that super easy for you and you're already doing it. So is it cool if I share this? If you share this tip? So you're already doing Hero. You're already replying to people on Hero. So I've got, I've got like my team and then we have some people that are doing that too. They're looking for things for us to reply to, but it can be tough to delegate a little bit because, and it's funny because you actually got me super excited because this is something that we've just recently started doing, but it's also because a friend of mine has been doing this for the last year with pretty good results. So what I'm saying is that it's tough to delegate that a little bit because you can hire someone and have like a PR person replying to Hero and all that sort of stuff. But they just won't write like you as well. And you got to take time to the owner to kind of write, you know, create original content, which is fine. That's good. It's just hard to delegate. But what you just talked about doing these surveys. So right now we're using Source Waddle and Harrow to post asking for inquiries for people. So we're posting saying we need expert quotes on the best way to market your business online. That type of thing. And right now, this is like three weeks old. Right now, we get like 20, 30 people who reply. And what we do is a roundup article. We ask 20 people, what's the best way you market your online business? Here are the replies. What do you think? Would you agree, disagree, add anything? Let us know. And it's a roundup. So we're not necessarily writing a lot of new content. We're rounding up what they said. 
and producing that content. But here's the other part to it. So first we round up using their quote, their name, title, link to their site. But then before we use them, we also reply back saying, hey, you know, a lot of people just send one-off things and they just disappear. We want to make sure we're doing real business, with real people, and that this is a real collaboration. You know, so first, just can you give me a reply? Let me know that like you're not just spamming everybody and we're never going to hear from you too. If you'd be willing, when we finish this and show, show it to you and you prove it, will you share? Like we're giving you exposure. Would you help us? And even the other people that we are sharing that are going to be featured in this, will you help promote all of us? And then, you know, get the reply back. So then we do the article and then we send them the link and we say, hey, here's what we delivered. Do you approve it? And when they say they approve it, we get great. And then next we want to follow up. So after we've done this co-project, after we've delivered, follow and go, hey, you know, thank you so much for your help. We really love this. You know, since we're working together, we'd like to offer, if you're interested, if you're not, that's fine. But if you'd like, we've got, you know, here are our two programs, our three programs. And if you're interested, we'd be happy to give you a 50% discount off. Which of these would be best for you if you're interested? And so now we're just doing a roundup to create the content. We're doing this kind of JV thing. We're doing something that's mutually beneficial, valuable. And at the end, we're just saying, hey, thank you so much. And as a token of our appreciation, if you or anyone you know would be interested, you can get a 50% discount off one of these programs, which not yes or no, yes or yes, which of these would be the best fit for you? And so that's something that we've got and something I've actually got delegated to my team. We're about three weeks in now. So we're about knee deep and like getting the first ones out. So when you're like, this research thing is so great. Another tip for other people, Google Scholar is fantastic. Google Scholar is fantastic. There's also Sci-Hub which helps you get access to articles that maybe are behind paywalls and stuff. But you can do a lot of your own research. Last year, I hired seven research teams and we combed through, sorry, I, I maybe should shut up. But we combed through all the scientific literature to figure out what are the key critical success factors for small and medium-sized businesses. And we went through all the meta-analyses and systemic reviews we could find on this sort of stuff. And so that's something that's really easily accessible to anybody. Because if you have access to Google Scholar, if you have access to Sci-Hub and you start searching around and you start looking up the different journals things you can actually find like real real science research done with proper and you know you don't have to be the scientist you don't have to know how to run a proper randomized control study you don't even know how to do have to do a meta review or a systemic review last year what we did is we ended up rounding up 30 meta analyses on business success and we came up with the eight factors which is self-efficacy strategic planning market research market intelligence marketing strategy sales strategy and skills money management business operations, and business intelligence. These were the, I don't know what I'm doing here. I got so too many numbers, but they're the eight critical success factors. And that was all based off that kind of research stuff. So we haven't done what you said, so we're going to, but there's that tip. If you're already on Hero, if you're already on Source Bottle, you can reply to those people. But while you're there, on you just flip it and just start getting people to answer. You could just easily, hey, looking for experts. What's your top tips for growing an e-commerce brand? What's your top tips for you know, managing your email list for e-commerce. What's your top tips for whatever? Just compile that. And uh, yeah, hats off. That's you're a good idea. Yeah. That, dude, Great dude. Idea. Yeah, yeah. So, hey, man, I believe when the tide rises, the boats rise. If I help you <laughs> and you go hit a home run or any of these listeners hear this stuff and they go hit a home run, they're going to be like, yo, this Daryl dude, man, need this interview with this guy. The two of them, they knocked my socks off. You know, I paid $10,000 for help from this guy. He gave me 10% what I got from these guys for free. You need to check them out, right? Like, so it's only, it's only in our best interest. So this has been a fantastic call. I think anyone listening to this probably wants to listen to it a couple of times, maybe even be like some of my other listeners, get a transcribe. So you get all the nuts and bolts or check out our site for the show notes. But Danavir, 
Is there anything I didn't ask you that I should have asked you? That's a really freaking hard question. I guess the best thing would have been to ask, like, if, for someone who's like super interested in, in like e-commerce, like actually starting a direct consumer brand. Yeah. The one thing, at least that what I would have wanted to know is like, what is like the difference maker? Like, mm. what is the real difference between, or at least, or at least what is, what has been my major mind shift, I guess you could yeah. say. And that would have been, because when I, again, I came from the info product side of things and yeah. info product, all marketing, it's, that's literally all it is. But in e-commerce, and I did not understand this at the beginning, and that's why my apparel business failed and why I'm doing the complete opposite for my men's grooming brand. It's an accounting business. It's really an accounting business. And that is, is because margin and, you know, and retention and all this stuff, it just, it, it makes such a difference to your marketing. I honestly think at this point, and Dan Kennedy says the same thing too. It's even more important than the marketing. Because I think Dan, I, I might butcher what Dan Kennedy said, but he said something to the effect of, you know, you can't out-market bad mass or yeah. something like that. Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 So, also said there's no strategic advantage to being the second cheapest in the market. Exactly. But there is to being the most expensive. Yeah. Yes, exactly. And so that is, the, that is by far the number one thing. And so all of my decision-making, straight up, the reason why I have the blog, the reason why it's men's grooming in the first place, the reason why, you know, I, I do everything that I do is because I know that the math behind growth is more important than the marketing. Because without it, the marketing literally will not work no matter what it is you do. And then when it comes to the marketing, at least for me, I have my backgrounds in copywriting stuff. So it's a, it's a bit easier. But without the math, you know, and it's more important. Besides, you know, obviously product market fit. Product market fit is obviously the most important thing by far, obviously. But, you know, besides having a product people want, it is definitely that, you know, getting, you don't have to be like a, a, an accounting whiz or anything, but do get comfortable with margins and P&Ls and stuff like that. Yeah. Let's talk about some of these KPIs. So like we talked about margin, retention rates, those are huge. Cost per lead, cost per sale, cost of goods sold, right? Your net profit per sale. And then things like lifetime customer value. How much money do you make from a customer the first 14 days, 30 days, 60 days, 90 days, six months, one year, depending on thing you're selling because yeah Dan Kennedy said that I think also Gary Albert said you know it's arithmetic you don't need to know any fancy math it's arithmetic you know I spent this much you know whatever whether you're doing SEO whether you're doing JVs like you know strategic alliances whether you're doing paid advertising you're paying for customers somehow you're paying in time you're paying in money you're paying in hosting for your website and the domain name so it's like that cost divided by number of leads right equals how many sales so cost minus sales you know, minus tax EBITDA, right? What is it? Earnings, interest. EBITDA. Uh, EBITDA. EBITDA. There we go. So minus EBITDA, which is like your operating expenses, taxes, all that stuff, equals net profit. You know, and even if you're, if you're only netting one, so let's say you're only making a dollar per customer, but you want to make $100,000, then you go get 100,000 customers. You know what I'm saying? So that's, but you got to know those numbers. You got to know those numbers. For context, my apparel brand, the one that failed, I had, my product was at a, a $58 full price. It was like a 30% margin. And I assumed it would grow because that's what I just, it just grows. That's what people tell you. Right. But that's no, great. you have, yeah. yeah, you have, like, if you're starting a, a brand, do not start anything that's below 60, 65% if it's CPG. Yeah. Because if it's not, you, 
unless you figure out a way to get to physical retail early or you start a blog like I'm doing or stuff like that, it's just not going to work mathematically speaking, no matter how great of a marketer you are. Yeah. And so yeah. that is by far the, the number one lesson I've learned, I guess, literally in all these 11 years, basically. Yeah. Yeah. And what I'm hearing you say is like, you have to drive business growth. Everyone wants to make like automated money and all this stuff. And it works, you know, but I consider it like a bike wheel. You work really hard to get it spinning and then you could stop and it'll spin for a while. But if you don't crank the wheel at all, right? Like it's like a bucket with holes in it. So there's always like behind any viral business growth, there's mad men, mad women fanning the flames like crazy. But there are ways to leverage yourself, right? Like this is leverage. We're doing this podcast interview and then when we're done, the recording can work for us 24 hours a day, seven days a week. But we had to show up. We had to do the work. We had to read the books. We had to get the knowledge and experience. We had to spend the time, money, and effort to make those mistakes, to learn those lessons. We had to get those clients to teach us, to work with, to have the experience, to be able to share this stuff back. That's all work. So if somebody listens to this and they're like, man, that Donovan guy's sweet. I'm going to go check out his site. I'm going to go join his Facebook group. You know, like you might be making automated list growth and they might buy something, you might be automated income, but you to put in the time, energy and effort on that. So it's really got to leverage and, you know, get, get rid of any of these false ideas that I'm going to make passive income. That's great. You want to make passive income own real estate. You'll find out that it is passive income, but then you got calls in the middle of the night because toilets backed up. You've got like, there's always maintenance to stuff. And so that wheel analogy is great. Like you can get a wheel spinning really good and then take six months off and then you come back and you spin the wheel. But the fact that you think you're going to build something and then it's just not, or that it's going to grow without you doing anything. Like again, yeah. like there's trends, right? Like it's leading and lagging factor. Like, oh, we're trending up. Oh, I'm going to relax. Well, it's like COVID. Like, oh, case is going up. But now we start doing all this stuff. And then there's a delayed response type thing, you know? So anyways, all right. We've gone so far over. Donovan, where do they contact you? Well, of course, put the links and everything. But how if they're just listening to this or they can't see the links and that, where do they go? Got it. Well, two most important sites to go to if you want to hire me for e-commerce email marketing stuff, go to supplydropmedia.com. And if you are the entrepreneur, you want to start an e-commerce business, go to danavirsaria.com. Yeah, danavirsaria. And that's the spelling on that for, again, for people that are listening to this, D-A-N-A-V-I-R-S-A-R-R-I-A. So danavirsaria.com, D-A-N-A-V-I-R, Saria, S-A-R-R-I-A.com. And the web you said? Supplydropmedia.com. Supplydropmedia.com. Thank you. Supplydropmedia.com. Of course, you can look him up on social media. He's got great content. That's part of why I brought him on the show. I mean, he's got great content, as you heard in this interview. Again, Danavir, thank you so much. I know it's late for you. I know you've got your own following that you could be creating content for. So, man, I appreciate your time, your energy, sharing this mind space. And I hope to have you back on the show sometime soon. Thank you for having me up, man.